Good morning, Kalos. I'm so happy to be in this place today. And uh, I just want to say, you guys are our best looking service. I really mean that. And uh, <laughs> this is our only service. Give yourselves a round of applause. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> my name is Pradeep Njiva Nohar in Sivaretnam, but you can call me Pradeep Njiva for short. No big deal. No sweat. And we're answering the question right now. According to the Bible, why do bad things happen to good people? And this is our most asked question for the series. And as a pastor, probably the most asked question I've been given. Because this is not just a philosophical question. It's a personal one because we've all dealt with a degree to of pain in our lives. You know, I remember when I was about 10 years old, I was playing some street hockey in Coon Rapids, Minnesota. That's where I was born and raised. And we're playing hockey on the street. And I was, a, I was that annoying kid that was always kind of breaking the rules and cheating and doing a lot of things I shouldn't have been doing. And uh, someone really got annoyed with me because I, I kept on hitting him with uh, my hockey stick in inappropriate places. And he was really annoyed with me. I can't blame him. And so in the middle of uh, you know, our game, he takes a stick and he winds up and just hurls it towards me. And this thing is going so fast and it starts spinning around like a helicopter, just whoosh, 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 whoosh. And it hits me right in the crotch. Yeah. And I get on my knees, and I cry out, Lord, why? Why have you forsaken me? And, man, you probably can relate to this, but that pain just doesn't stay in the crotch. No, it moves up into the stomach, and it lingers. Can I get an amen? Oh, that pain, it lingers. And I'm just having a crisis of faith. Lord, why? Are you allowing me to have this pain? I did nothing to deserve it. <laughs> you have hurt me in great ways, Lord. And we have these questions in our lives, and we have these pains, and we can't help but wonder, why is this happening? And not just in funny ways, but in some very serious ways. When we watch the news, and we, we see wars, and wars, and wars, and killing, and killing, and when we hear of things like the Holocaust, or we see like Rwanda with tens and hundreds of thousands of people dying or the killing fields in Cambodia with Pol Pot and so many people dying and we, we see murder even in our own country and sexual assault. We're like, God, what is going on here? Why are you allowing so much suffering? Why are you allowing so much pain? Many of us, you know, I've prayed with so many people in this room dealing with pain and a dark night of the soul just struggling with dealing with so many issues. And it, it hurts. And it's not just for non-Christians, but even Christians have to deal with this pain and this suffering and these raw emotions. I mean, even this last year for me, it's been such a painful year. Divorce in my family. You know, this is actually the year anniversary of the Sunday Pastor Amritha's father passed away, and we're trying to deal with that. And why, Lord, in our, our first year of church planting, when we gave it all up to follow your will and to make known of the beauty of Jesus, why are we having to deal with the death, a sudden death? Like, what's going on? And uh, we can't help but 
feel that question deep down in our soul. Even Jesus, dying on the cross, he quotes from Psalm 22, a very intimate and vulnerable prayer. Psalm 22, it says this. He quotes the beginning of this on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Have you ever felt that? Has that ever been a prayer in your soul? A dark night of pain, of suffering? And we ask this question, and I think this is where this question is rooted from. It's how can an all-powerful and all-loving God allow there to be pain and suffering? And there's this quote by Epicurus. This is an ancient quote, but it was a philosopher who is dealing with this exact same question. Is God willing to prevent evil, but is he not able? Then he is not omnipotent, which means all-powerful. Is he able, but not willing? Then he is malevolent, like evil. Is he both able and willing? Then where, where does evil come from? Then whence cometh evil? It's a little fancy. Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? And this is a question I think a lot of Christians are afraid to be asked. You know, why, if God is so good, and if God is so loving, if God is so powerful, then why is there evil in the world? I don't, I don't know. Sometimes we're afraid to answer this question, but we're going to actually dive into this according to the scripture. And I believe that as we answer this, not only philosophically, but personally for your life and for our lives, I believe that there's going to be great freedom in this place. And uh, I, I don't want to be prideful or boastful. I, this question's been asked for thousands of years, and I don't think I'm going to answer it perfectly and wrap it up with a bow, and you're going to be like, wow, Pradeep, and you, you solved it. Well done. I'm going to go talk to Epicurus. You know, it's, it's going to be a, a thought-provoking question, and you might leave here with more questions than answers, but I love that we have a community where we're not afraid to ask questions, and we, that, and we believe Jesus is here for us for all times, not just in safe environments, but even in the most dangerous of questions. Amen? And so let's dive into this. So really, I'm going to get my philosophical hat on a little bit. So this might feel a little bit like a lecture, but I'm going to be more personal as we get into this. But types of pain that philosophers typically deal with are we have natural evil, which is a, a term for tsunamis, earthquakes, things like that that kill people or hurt people or cause suffering. We have moral evil that has a lot to do with personal choice. That's like murder or sexual assault or uh, abusing people, things like that. And then there's physical pain when you're born with a sickness or a, a disease or something that causes great anguish and pain for you. And this causes us to ask this question, if God is so good, powerful, loving, why am I dealing with these kinds of pain? And this isn't just a question that Christians have to answer. This is a question that all people on earth must answer if they are experiencing the human experience. And so different responses that I've seen, we'll put this on the screen, is we have common responses to pain. Oftentimes we have like a new age response that says God exists, but suffering doesn't exist. And that's saying God is all love, God is real, and negativity, pain, suffering, that's all in your mind. And so have you ever heard someone say like, oh, don't say that aloud. Don't, acknowledge, don't say cancer. I don't want to throw that into the universe. 
I don't, I don't want to put that out there. Because by acknowledging pain and suffering, we're letting it be. But really, God is all-powerful, but suffering doesn't exist. It's all in your head. It's all a mindset. And this philosophy has even leaked into the church a little bit, where we are so worried about our words that we have like what is called word of faith, which there are some beautiful parts to it, but then there are some people who aren't even willing to acknowledge sickness or the realities. Have you ever walked to someone and, or talked to someone who is sick? You're like, hey, how are you doing? And they're just like, I'm not sick. I'm healed in the name of Jesus. And you're like, you are, you're lying on the ground and your, your leg is twisted. On, I, I don't have a leg. What are you talking? I'm not hurt. I'm good. Look, I'm, I'm playing basketball right now. No, you're not. You're on the ground with a broken leg. Like, what do you, no, I'm totally playing basketball right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody. You're like, no, you're not, you're not in touch with reality. I've even heard stories from pastors where people would not visit their friends in the hospital because that would be acknowledging that they're really sick. And so you kind of have this mindset that God is real, but suffering isn't. And it's kind of this mind over matter. If I, if I believe I'm not sick, it doesn't exist. If I believe there's no suffering, it doesn't exist. And that's, that's kind of not helpful if you're really suffering and you're like, this doesn't exist when I'm crying and I'm in pain. Another common uh, response to pain is karma, which is basically Basically, you get what you deserve. What goes around comes around. And that, that is saying, okay, there is uh, pain in your life. You're suffering in your life. Well, in a previous life, you did some bad things, and now it's coming to haunt you. And so this is a, a difficult one to believe in, but it's a common response to pain. Oh, I must have messed up in a previous life. Have you ever heard this? This is kind of the response of karma or moksha. It's the idea that we get what we deserve. And uh, this is a disturbing philosophy in my heart, especially when you're dealing with a child who, who's maybe suffering with some great pain or sickness, and you're like, little, you know, little Timmy is saying, oh, why am I in so much pain? Well, little Timmy, you messed up in a previous life. You get what you deserve. Oh. <laughs> it's not very encouraging, and that's one of the reasons I love Christianity and the gospel, because we serve a God that says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. There's a gospel of grace and hope, and even though you've messed up, I'm not going to hold that against you. You're forgiven. You are free. I separate you from your sins as far as the east is from the west. Amen? And so that's the idea of karma. You get what you deserve. And then there's an atheism mindset or a naturalism mindset that says, God doesn't exist, but suffering exists, and this is really a proof for the reason God doesn't exist. And so these are some uh, paradigms that people have addressed the problem with pain. And I'm going to focus a lot on this last one with atheism and naturalism, and so with a Christian response to kind of address it. But let's, let's look at this in the context of like a tsunami. A number of years ago, around 2006 in Sri Lanka, where my family is from, there was a tsunami that hit the island and lots of people died. And the question of why would God allow this tsunami to happen really occurred on a lot of people's brains, a lot of discussions, especially in my family. Not all my family is Christian, so we had some great conversations about it. But you have to assume a couple of worldviews when you ask this question. And so keep your philosophy hats on a little bit. You have to ask, from what frame of mind are you asking this question? Because when the tsunami hit Sri Lanka, if you're asking this question about God and suffering, 
if you're asking it from like a scientific naturalist uh, uh, paradigm, you have to wonder, okay, why, why did the animals survive this tsunami better than the humans? Because humans were killed, but the animals actually escaped the tsunami before it came and hit them. And so if you address, address this from a scientific naturalism mindset of evolution and survival of, the, survival of the fittest, you believe that on a macro evolution paradigm that humans are supposed to be more evolved than animals, so we would survive better than the animals, but the fact is those on the lower end of the spectrum actually survive better than those on the higher end of the spectrum. So what, what is going on there? If you look at it from a philosophical naturalism, you don't really believe that there's anything wrong with pain and suffering because we're all a divine accident. You know, we go from the goo, you know, a blob in the ocean, to the zoo, to animals, to humans. So from the goo to the zoo to you, if you will. And so really, suffering from a tsunami isn't a big deal. So why are you asking this question? Suffering isn't real. God isn't real. So the question doesn't really matter. If you're looking at it from a, a Hindu or a Buddhist perspective of karma, well, why did the tsunami hit Sri Lanka? Because you get what you deserve. You did something in your past life. You were bad. And if you ask it from a Muslim paradigm, it's God is sovereign. Inshallah. God will do what he'll do. Whatever God's will is going to happen. Inshallah. And so really, if you're asking this question, why would a good God allow suffering to exist? You really kind of have to ask this from a Judeo-Christian paradigm, which I love because this question actually points people to God. And I've led people to Christ with this very question. Because in order to ask the question, you have to assume that God is real. You have to assume that evil is real. And this question is, for many people, a stone of atheism. I was just talking with Kim over here. Don't you guys love Kim? Come on, somebody. And, and she was saying a loved one in her life actually rejected God for many years because she couldn't get over the fact that a good God would allow suffering and she couldn't believe in God. But if we actually look at this question, not just from a personal level, but from a logical standpoint, we'll find that the question as proof for atheism actually begins to unravel itself. Let me explain this. When we say anything is evil or anything is wrong, we really point to God. Let me read a quote by C.S. Lewis that kind of explains this better than I could. And he was an atheist, a great writer. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and many other books. He was an atheist, but he began to see God in all the universe. He saw his cry for justice, his cry against a cruel and unjust God to be a cry that led him to God. And so let's put that quote on the screen, if we could. And so C.S. Lewis says, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why did I, who's supposed to be part of the show, find myself in such violent reaction against it? A man feels wet when he falls into the water because man is not a water animal. A fish would not feel wet. Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own, 
But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my fancies. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know it was dark. Dark would be a word without meaning. Interesting. And so when we ask the question, why is there evil? Why is there suffering? We're really unraveling a defense for atheism by saying, in order for evil to exist, a God must exist. So if God doesn't exist, evil doesn't exist. Whenever we say something is right or wrong, we're making a judgment. But if all our judgments are whatever we decide it to be, it doesn't really matter because everything is right in your own eyes. But if you point to a higher judge, who is the one who actually determines what is right and wrong? And that is a great argument that points to the existence of God. Because if God doesn't exist, evil doesn't exist. I was reading this article from one of the premier thinkers on atheism, Richard Dawkins. And uh, in this interview, he actually says that because of my naturalistic belief, a belief without God, I don't think that there's really anything that is right or wrong. All our decisions are arbitrary. People can do whatever they want. They're just animals. We don't fault an animal for killing another animal. We don't get mad at them. And in this interview, he says this. I recently came across, this is a guy named Vince Vitale writing this. I recently came across an interview with Richard Dawkins in which the interviewer was challenging him about the implications of his naturalistic worldview. Naturalism meaning a survival of the fittest. We went from the goo to the zoo to you. The interviewer said, ultimately, your belief that rape is wrong is as arbitrary as the fact that we've evolved five fingers rather than six. Dawkins responded, you could say that, yeah. And so rape, murder, if we are all able to make our own decisions, if there's no higher judge, there's no morality in this world, we can do whatever we want to do. And so there's no reason we can ever logically say rape is wrong or murder is wrong or slavery is wrong or abuse is wrong because everything is just a divine accident. And there's no meaning in those arguments for morality without a higher power. You guys have your philosophy hats on? And so I, I remember just uh, poking fun at this. And uh, when I was in Minnesota, I actually created an organization called PAFA, which stands for Protecting Animals from Animals. And so we have, we have organizations like PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. We shouldn't kill animals. We shouldn't torture animals. But I was really upset that we still allow animals to kill animals. Who's protecting the gazelle from the lion? That is unethical. Why are dogs allowed to hump other dogs? That, that's abuse. Like, and 
I was doing it to prove a point, but I actually created a website and things like that. And uh, uh, it's, it's just this whole idea. If, if everything is subjective, if morality is whatever you want it to be, that means you can do whatever you want and it's okay. And we saw as atheism rose in China, how many people died. As atheism rose under the regimes of communism, like in Cambodia, tens of thousands of people died. How were they able to justify that? Because morality was subjective and they could do whatever they wanted. Without the foundation of the Bible, without a higher judge, people will do what is right in their own eyes. So who told you murder was wrong? Who told you abuse was wrong? Why is that? something that we believe if we don't believe in the Bible or a holy book or a scripture. And I think that's because deep down in our hearts, made in the image of God, we feel connected to a lawgiver, a divine judge, a God in heaven that says, hey, things are not as they should be. This is not okay. And so this question unravels itself because it points to God. And so I want to take us on a, a train of thought through that. And why is there evil and pain and suffering? God is good. God is all-powerful. Well, here is one train of thought. It's not a complete thought. It's one. We could do a whole seminary course on this or a whole degree on this. But I want to talk about the idea of free will. And I believe this, free will, the ability to have choice, opens the door to evil. God is a loving God, amen? God desires that we would love him. We were created to worship. God desires relationship with us. He wants us to love him. But forced love isn't love at all. So God gave us free will. If when I met Amritha, I said, hey, love me. I command you to love me. You have to. I'm putting you in handcuffs until you love me. That would not be real love. And so God has complicated his power and his goodness because of love. Love complicates things, doesn't it? Love complicates all sorts of things. And so let me read a quote by Philip Yancey. It talks about the, the dichotomy of wanting to use force, but also wanting to be loved. And he compares it to how Nazis couldn't force people to love them. By applying force, they can make you renounce your God, curse your family, work without pay, eat human excrement, kill and then bury your closest friend or even your own mother. All this is within their power. Only one thing is not. They cannot force you to love them. The fact that love does not operate according to the rules of power may help explain why God sometimes seems shy to use his power. He created us to love him, but his most impressive displays of miracle, the kind we may secretly long for, do nothing to foster that love. As Douglas John Hall has put it, God's problem is not that God is not able to do certain things. God's problem is that God loves. Love complicates the life of God as it complicates every life. And so because God gave us free will to create a condition so that true love could exist, because if we were robots, if we were forced to love, that wouldn't be love at all. Because of free will, we have been given the ability to choose to love God, choose to love people, choose to love, but we've also been given the choice to hate and cause destruction and bring about evil in this world. It's this condition of free will that has created opportunities for both. And so being able to choose love means having the ability to choose 
hate. A little scriptural context for this, in Genesis, back to the garden, the very beginning of the Bible, the first man and woman created, in Genesis 2, 16 through 17, God commanded the man, you can eat from any tree in the garden, except from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. The moment you eat from that tree, you're dead. And then in Genesis 3:17, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. So God creates Adam and Eve, gives them free will. They choose to abuse that free will by eating the fruit, and it causes destruction and death in their own life, but also for the whole world. And this idea of choice, you can abuse it or you can use it to love. And this has opened the door for evil, for pain, for suffering. The same person that can love you can also cause you great pain. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone where one moment or one season in your life you experience great pain, joy, and love, but in that same relationship, through the same person, you experience great anguish, turmoil, heartache. That is the power of free will, the condition for love. And uh, I want to go on to say that this scripture really points to us that free will has resulted in this circumstance of pain and suffering. So why is there pain and suffering in the world? You can write these down. It's the results of a broken world. That's one of my points. It's the results of the broken world, like he says in Genesis. Through pain and toil, the ground is cursed. That's how you'll eat from it. From results of your decisions, we can make bad decisions that cause us to have self-suffering. Like if I spend all my money and then suddenly I don't have money for food, that's not God punishing me. That's the result of my own decisions. And uh, I just believe that this is a framework for understanding free will, evil, and this framework that helps us understand that just because God is allowing evil through free will doesn't mean that God is causing evil and pain and suffering in your life. We see this happen all the time with tsunamis and things like that. Oh, that nation, they were unholy, and so God punished them with a natural disaster. You know, Jesus says in the scripture, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And the fact is, we are living in a broken world, and we know deep down in our hearts when we see pain or violence or death and destruction, that things are not as they should be, amen? And so that's why we pray, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, Lord, let your kingdom come come. And it's a beautiful prayer, but we realize that in pain, we have so much suffering. And it's not just a philosophical question, but many of you are dealing with pain in right now. And I want to offer a degree of hope that says, even in your pain, God can turn it around for his good. Even in the midst of your suffering, God can spin things around and use it for something amazing. I'm actually going to ask Fina to come up here and share a little bit about her story. Fina, in the last couple of years, has gone through some tragic things, and she's been so vulnerable and 
uh, just amazing and strong to share her story with us a little bit and just sharing a little bit of suffering about how God has even been able trustworthy in her life. And then we'll go into that a little more from a scriptural perspective. So let's give it up for Fina as she shares a little bit about her story. Come on, Fina. So Fina, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, um, so in regards to deserving pain, um, I was the picture-perfect kid. Um, I was a perfectionist. I went to church every Sunday. I grew up in a Christian home. Straight A's, every, tried to do everything right. I was an absolute perfectionist. And I think in my mind, subconsciously, I thought that that was me earning my grace and earning my salvation. And so my sophomore year of high school, uh, 2014, um, I was sexually assaulted and then entered a season of severe depression and anxiety. I was suicidal. I was just entirely broken. And in my mind, that made zero sense because I had done everything right. I had earned my forgiveness. I had earned my grace. I had earned a good life. And so entering this season of just like darkness and brokenness made no sense to me. And after a period of time, um, I was able to be freed from depression, but in the same, at the same time, I was still confused. The one thing that still lingered was, okay, but still why? Like, thank you, Jesus, for freeing me, but why did it need to happen? And so um, I actually was able to share my testimony at my church, and a sixth grade girl came up to me and said, I was, I'm going through the exact same thing, and that meant so much to me. And it was like a light bulb just clicked. And it was, if she was why, then that's okay. I'm content with that. And so my junior year of high school, I actually got this tattoo, which says John 13, 7. Um, John 13, 7 is the verse where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and um, he says, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but someday you will. And that verse kind of came into my life very randomly, and I think that it was actually extremely prophetic because uh, in my mind, that horrible season, my sophomore year of high school, was going to be like my one big trial. I don't know why I thought that way, but I thought, okay, that's my big thing. I'm good now. I'm good. And earlier this year, I was sexually assaulted again. And so um, in my mind, the why question popped up again. I was so confused and felt, I knew that the Lord was good because I had seen it, but I didn't understand why it was going to happen. Like, why did it happen again? Why did it need to happen? And um, through that whole period, I learned two really specific things. And the first is that the Lord's goodness doesn't depend on my circumstances. And um, I was listening to a worship song, and the woman at the beginning was just doing spontaneous worship. And she said, when everything is going wrong and it all falls apart, you're good. And when everything is going right, you're still good. And I realized me going through this does not mean he's not good. That's not what that means. It means that through this, I'm gonna learn something. And that was the second thing that I learned was every other time in my life, every time I had experienced pain, I kind of held it at an arm's distance and tried to run from it. And I realized that if I just sat there and I said, okay, yeah, I'm going through something, but Lord, what can you teach me? How can I grow in this? And instead of just running from it and running from it and running from it, I sat down and I started to self-reflect. I started a process. I started to sit down with friends and say, all right, here's what I'm learning right now. And surprisingly, um, a lot of people, when they hear my story, they're like, I'm so sorry. Like, that's awful. And uh, it's actually been one of the, it's such a weird paradox because it's been the absolute worst season of my life and the absolute best because I've learned so much. And I actually came home from college. I'm from Tacoma. And so I went home and saw my mom and me and my mom are absolute best friends. And she said, you're a different person. 
And she was like, I, you are the truest version of yourself that I've ever seen you. And I was like, how? And it had been like two months. And she goes, everything about you is just better. You've just, you're a truer version of yourself. And all of these different things that I had struggled with, the combativeness and me always needing to feel argumentative and fight for justice and all those different things, they completely fell away. And I even tell people that I meet in college because they're like, I'll say something about my past and they'll say, oh, that doesn't sound anything like you. And I'm like, that's because it's not now, but it was. And so in this period of time, I've learned more about the Lord's goodness in the worst season of my life. And so within that, um, I just encourage you, if you're going through something that seems like it's never ending and it's just this pain that you're not going to get through, number one, you will. But number two, don't just focus on getting through it. Try to sit there and say, okay, Lord, I'm going through something. I know it's not caused by you. I know that this isn't something that you're just trying to cast upon me because you hate me. Rather, what can you show me in it? How can I grow? That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. (laughs) What a powerful message. And I kind of want to turn a corner here off this philosophical hat. And that, that's just a powerful story. But you know, there is pain and suffering in this world. And you know, there is a broken world and we can make bad decisions. And you know, through our choice in the garden, there's been so many things that have been unleashed in the spiritual and the natural. But you know, I, I just believe that even in our pain and suffering, like we heard in this story, God refines something in you. And how many of you guys have gone through something and you're like, I didn't like it when I went through it, but I, I'm glad on the other side of it because I'm stronger. I have compassion. I have a perspective to help something. And not only does God refine something in you, but I believe that God reveals something through you. And just like this story, a story of pain, but also a story of trusting in the goodness of God. It's like through these miracles and these healings and these stories of overcoming, we see the glory of God. And even Jesus on the cross as he's saying, Father, why have you forsaken me? Like, we see the glory of God because Jesus chose to suffer for the sake of others. And this is something that makes Christians so unique, that we willingly will put ourselves in places of suffering for others to have a better chance at life. Quote by R.C. Sproul says this, Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that only happened once. And he volunteered. <laughs> Speaking of Jesus, powerful quote. And uh, I just want to believe that even in our trials, that God is good. Even in our suffering, we can trust on God. Yes, there's free will. Yes, there's chances for evil to really put us through the tests and trials of life. And Jesus even said, you will experience tribulations. But we believe in a God that will wipe away every tear. We believe that as we pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That our hope is an eternity with God and Jesus. That the world will become better. There's a scripture in Romans 8 that says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, 
like we read about in Genesis. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently." You know, things are not as they should be or could be, but we place our hope in God who will right the wrongs of this earth. We place our hope in Jesus Christ. You know, there's this man, his name is Horatio, and he lived in the 1800s, very wealthy lawyer, and uh, he lost a son tragically. He had a lot of real estate investments, and right after he lost his son, him and his wife Anna, The Great Chicago Fire happened, and he lost all of his real estate investments. Well, his family decided we need to go on a vacation and just kind of decompress from all this pain. And for some reason, he had to take care of last-minute business, so he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead of him on the boat. That boat had a collision, and all four of his daughters died. And only his wife survived. And he went to go grieve with his wife. And on the way there, he penned this very famous song. And the, script, or in the lyrics say, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billow roll, billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. Even in the midst of suffering and pain, he realized that God loves him that he can trust and hope in God. And just like with Fina's story, our circumstances do not define the goodness of God. Amen. And so why don't we stand up to our feet right now? And I want us to sing this chorus. But if you're in this place and you're saying, ah, I'm just going through it. Maybe you're the one who submitted that question. You're saying, I'm going through some things. I'm going through some trials and pain. I just want to encourage you with these words, these momentary afflictions are but for one moment. And they are so dim compared to the eternity of glory with God. And so if you're dealing with some trials or suffering, as we sing these lyrics, I want you to just, in a declaration of faith, say, Lord, I'm choosing to trust you in my pain. I know that the world is broken. I know that I've made bad decisions, but I know that you don't just give us what we deserve, but through the gospel, you cover our sins, you cover our faults. And so I can say it is well with my soul because of you, Jesus. Why don't we sing this right now as a declaration of faith? Dear Father, we trust you in the trial. even when we have a hard time hoping. In the pain and in the injustice of this world. Lord, right now we make a declaration to trust you.
trust you. such a beautiful song written in such a crazy circumstance and you know as we discuss the different response responses people have to pain you know naturalism doesn't offer us hope or purpose in pain simply getting what we deserve isn't the kind of hope that we have but we have a hope in Jesus amen so beautiful a Jesus that helps us go through our pain. He doesn't just explain our pain, but Jesus Christ on the cross suffered our pain with us. We don't serve a God who doesn't understand. He experienced emotional, physical, mental pain. And you know, I, I realize that there are people in this place, and maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you're still walking in your pain. You're walking alone. There's things in your life you're so ashamed of that seem to shackle you and haunt you. I want to let you know, in this place, I would love to pray for you and offer freedom and hope in Jesus Christ. A prayer to say, Lord, I surrender to you. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I don't want to live according to my own ways. I don't want to just do whatever's right in my own eyes. But Jesus, I want to live according to your plan. I want that hope that you offer. I want that fresh start. And I, I just want to give you that chance to say, Jesus, I will follow you. And I want to pray for you. So can we close our eyes and bow our heads? But if you're in this place and you're saying, Pradeep, that's me. Would you pray for me? I want to follow Jesus. I want that fresh start. I want that hope. On the count of three, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? One, two, three. Slift up your hand right now. It's awesome. So proud of you for lifting up your hands. You can put it down. Well, let's pray this prayer together before we close out this service, especially those of you who raise your hands. And this isn't a magic spell, but just a way of maybe articulating what's in our heart. Let's pray this at the same time. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause? So powerful.